0: those Father, thank you for gathering us together as family this morning. Thank you for giving us this moment in time, this precious moment in time just to be together, to fellowship this way, to break bread together. Um, it is the very bread of life, and it is everything to us, and so we're just so very grateful for moments like this. Father, we know that From eternity past, you ordained each one of these seats as they are filled, you ordained this message, you ordained even the weather, the day, just the whole collective we call now. Uh, We're just so very grateful for it. Uh, We never want to become familiar with it, and we're so grateful for the reminders not to do that thing. We do pray for those in the congregation that aren't with us here this morning, that They know that we're with them in spirit and that we're praying for them to return to us. As soon as possible, your will be done, of course. We pray also for those that are still in this world that are lost without hope that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to make moments like this possible father just it's incredible may we never become familiar with it we do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message may it be edifying for our souls we ask this in jesus christ's precious name by the power of the spirit we do pray amen part 49 of proverbs 17 wisdom this past week uh has been very interesting including last sunday's message and then the continuation of it on Thursday um, much of the content in those messages has been to amplify this point up here in the board learn to be grateful for the now I just prayed that way just there's just come on man there's just so much to be grateful for amen I mean I came in there's a, you know a good number of you today and it's just very nice for me to see Honestly, to see you all here, to, to to see you fellowship, and it's not the same, I get it, right? We used to be able to have that nice table of food and the coffee, and I could see people gathering around and just, you know, having a good time, you know, giving each other hugs and hellos and, you know, how you doings, and we don't have that luxury right now. It's not permanent, we know that, um, but here you are anyways, and so I'm just so delighted on times like this that you're just... You know what it says to me it says that you're here for the right reason you're here to take in the word of god you're here to some of you like i really like that quiche though right you know but this is the bread of life this is the food this is our sustenance this is what matters most in life you could go days without eating but this you need you need this daily to sustain you right um and so i'm very encouraged to see you all here this morning so From me to you, thank you uh, for making that decision because it is a decision you have to make every single time you get in your car and you drive here. Uh, Just know that yours truly is very much encouraged by it. So please remember that the next time you get that fiery dart, you know what I mean? To roll over and hit the alarm or the snooze or whatever and and not be here for each other. Uh, Just remember that. Learn to be grateful for the now. Uh, Here's been the source of that encouragement up here on the board. God decided to save you. How about that? Every moment of every day, um, you can live and abide in that very truth. That God decided to save you. That's incredible. Any questions, right? Any questions? I think not. As the Spirit pointed out on Thursday, also don't don't look for ways to you know keep a little to yourself for rainy days, so to speak. In other words, be all in. Don't do that thing. Be all in. Up here on the board in the Amplified Classic, Romans 12, verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication, not a flip-floppy one, not a waffly one, a decisive dedication. Just trust me, you'll be so much happier when you do. You'll be so much happier when you have one direction in your life, not several. You'll be so much more at peace when you just have one thing to dedicate your life to, not several where you're trying to play this game. Make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. That's what all in looks like my friends that's what it looks like a decisive dedication i'm just you know i'm just gonna go for it i'm just gonna say lord you're my everything everyone everything else comes after you make that who you are go to proverbs 17 verse 6 proverbs 17 verse 6 Uh, Poor Monica today, she comes to my office, and she's like, do you want water or tea? And I'm like, I want tea. And then I tell her how hot it was last time, and I'm complaining. Now I feel bad. But this one's awesome. Oh, you heard it. Don't. All right, I don't feel bad. This one's very good. Thank you. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse 6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. That's been the launching pad. Uh, I, I personally can't even believe how much time we've spent on family. I'm not surprised now looking back, the things he's bringing out, the timeliness of it. But this one verse has launched us into this, you know, message after message, come back to it. Keep coming back to family. Don't let, the, don't let the thought go yet. Don't just brush it off and say, yeah, yeah, family, okay, it's, they're important to God. No, 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 this is a big deal to God, our Creator. So we keep coming back to this one verse, and the Spirit's been reiterating this up here on the board. On marriage and family... We believers are held to a higher standard. We believers are held to a higher standard. And that's been the focal point lately. Due to this basic fact, we are then prodded to maintain said standard. If you read your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, family is a centerpiece of how God has set us up to be blessed, or, sadly, maybe even to be cursed. depends on how you respond to His commandments regarding marriage and family. So we are prodded to maintain this higher standard. It turns out that the family is a unique construct designed by God Himself. And that is right. I want to make a distinction here. I shouldn't have to, but maybe we've forgotten. Man is not the author of marriage. God is. Man would like to think he's the author of marriage so that he can start saying, you know, it's men can marry men and women can marry women. And I don't know, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to try to marry their pet. Uh, you laugh, but it's probably going to happen. That is ridiculous. And then once that happens, then they can start marrying, I don't know, Burt's Bees. Technically, they could have a married, because, you know, God forbid, you know, people can stop marrying whatever they want. And they make a mockery of marriage. But we know from Holy Scripture that God is the one who designed marriage and family. So there's this unique construct and we cannot depart from it. If we're going to do due diligence studying this with full integrity, then we have to understand, well, what is marriage and family according to the Creator? We don't take our earthly lenses and try to impose them on the Word of God and say, you know, silly things like, well, God loves me, so he allows this little caveat for me. That doesn't work. That's not true. Stop playing, pretend. Uh, that's not godly. Okay? So God gave us this unique construct called family, and as the Spirit's been, turning, uh, uh, been pointing out, it turns out that the family is, uh, you know, that little microcosm, a small version of the world at large. It, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, a little science experiment where the limited space of the home is like a, you know, like a controlled lab for children to grow up in. That's what a family is like. It's like a little controlled lab. It's like a little version of the bigger thing. And God says, well, let me, instead of you know, shock therapy, let me introduce new little ones into a, a little microcosm And let me use that to raise them up so that they're prepared to go out on their own. Again, the idea is that they learn in this little lab environment, and then they can apply it to life at large. So it turns out that the family is where God first teaches us about love. God first teaches That's the intent. I'm not saying it's happened for everybody in this room. But that's the good intent of the Creator that God uses that family structure to first teach us about love. And so, for obvious reason, uh, there's great value assigned to families in the Bible. I know the world dis- disagrees. But that's not what we're studying. We're not studying the world here. We're studying the Word. Amen? Yeah, I'm not, I don't even care. I'm so bitter sometimes about the world is so disgusting and it's so misleading. We're not studying the world up here on the board. The Bible says there's a lot of value in family. There's an intrinsic goodness that blankets a godly family that is unmistakably a blessing from God designed to encourage such families to persist in the faith. It's unmistakable. It's the way God designed it. If you were here on Thursday, you know how much emphasis the Spirit put on men. Go ahead, men. Shake it out. See, DJ's already ready. He's like, amen. Gird my loins. He's back there going. Right? He's like, gird it up. Hey, listen. The the Spirit doesn't take it easy on men in this congregation. So if you're here and you're a man and you're a husband and a father, well, gird your loins. I'm one of them. So it's not like, and it, all of this goes through me first, so there's no judgment, there's no condemnation, only love. So on Thursday, the Spirit put a lot of emphasis on men, as husbands and fathers, other words, known as heads of the household. There's a certain delegated authority given to men in the home, as it, as the, you know, the leader of that little microcosm, someone has to lead it. And men, it's us up here on the board, the responsibility of the man, a weak, arrogant husband, father will make excuses for himself. And all you have to do is look around. You can see that in spades, but a strong, humble man will always accept God's wisdom, love and discipline and apply it to his own life. Again, that's the responsibility of a man in full view without any, you know, excuses, no um, holding back. Just, you know, and, and we're all, for the record, every man in here has been weak and arrogant as a husband and father, if you fulfill those roles. And every man in here has made excuses for himself. And what the Spirit's saying is that doesn't fly. The blessings don't come after that. A strong, humble man will always accept God's wisdom. You have that opportunity right now, some of you, because he's speaking through this vessel to you. And you can either be arrogant or humble. A strong, humble man will always accept God's wisdom, love, and discipline, and apply it to his own life. And just as a side note, I know you probably don't need to hear this refresher, but remember that weak equals arrogance, and vice versa, and strong equals humble, and vice versa. In any case, the Spirit has undoubtedly emphasized the criticality of men functioning with integrity to the Word of God in their families, I, I don't know. I can't stress it more and it's not, this is not my personal, I mean, my, they are my personal convictions, but I'm not teaching from an atomic center that is me. Does That make sense. I'm speaking on behalf of this. Do I hold the same convictions? Yeah. I guess otherwise I probably wouldn't be worthy of standing before you and teaching it. Do I hold those convictions? Yeah. Do I do it perfectly? <clears throat> no. But it doesn't mean the convictions aren't there. It doesn't mean the truth has changed. So my job is to teach you what the Bible says. And the Bible says it is absolutely critical that men function with integrity to that book in their families. So we're going to read a passage of Holy Scripture that we've read many times over the past few years even. But I want you to read it with me Um, within the context of family, as we read it, I want you to just keep thinking, don't let the context of family escape you. As we read it, try to apply whatever you read to the, the, the construct, the context, the concept of family. Okay? I want to direct your attention to the fact that this entire passage uses the divine institution of family as its foundation paul is teaching other things along the way but he's using family as that the, the, like the, i don't want to say the substrate if you know what that is but the underpinning it's like the brick and mortar he says i'm going to stand on this brick and mortar foundation and then i'm going to teach you about stuff but you got to have this brick and mortar foundation solid so that the teaching that comes from it is solid as well is founded is, gro- is grounded and rooted in truth. And so this is what he does. Okay? So I want you to read it with me this way. So as we read this passage together, keep your eyes on the big picture and focus on how the Spirit developed Paul's writing here to put so much emphasis on and actually lean on, as a literary device, the construct of family. Okay? There's a lot going on in this incredible passage of Scripture, but don't lose sight of family. OK? Go to Ephesians 5:1, Ephesians 5 verse one. The idea, the construct, the, the foundation of family, that core idea of family, is front and center in this whole passage. Okay, and it, it starts right here, right out of the gate. Ephesians 5.1 Look at Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Which implies what? Family. Already the implication of family is front and center. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And what? Walk in love. Walk in love. The last few messages we've been talking about that. The the, the tie that binds families together is what? Love. And so it makes sense to walk in love within the construct of a family. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, love, after all, is the tie that binds our families together. And you can see how Paul's painting this picture using the concept of family. In verse 3, he says, But, you ready? Here's how you can ruin it. He says, walk in love, but here's how you can ruin it. You ready? Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Instead of telling, you know, dirty jokes at the dinner table, why don't you be thankful for God? Right? Instead of teaching your children how to do this or that uh, in an awful way, why don't you talk to them about God? Verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And I love this. Look at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Now, I'm going to say this flat out. There are, as far as I'm concerned, everyone in here needs to listen to this. Because this is happening right now in this congregation with several of you several families even in this congregation let no one deceive you with empty words let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of god comes upon the sons of disobedience so do not miss paul's words here he says let no one deceive you with empty words. Up here in the board, concentrate. Men, protect your family. You hear me? Men, protect your family. This is not a joke. This is not an option. This is not, I'm going to punt it to my wife because I'm a, a candy, or a pansy as Tammy would say. I use other select words that I cannot say on a Sunday. Men, protect your family. Do not allow people from outside of your family to infiltrate it. Tattoo that on your forearm if you have to. You are the protector of your family. It all starts with you. Do not allow people from outside of your family to infiltrate it. That microcosm is yours to protect. Be vigilant, on guard, ready to ward off the wolves in sheep's clothing. Remember, attacks often come from where you least expect it. From where you least expect it. So men, protect your family. I want to hold your thumb there. And this is a lesson that David learned the hard way. Go to Psalm 55, verse 1. Psalm 55, verse 1. You don't have to take my word for it. How about we just let the Word of God teach you the truth about what that principle means on the board? Psalm 55.1. This is David. Right? David was, you know, anytime you do anything, anytime you stand up for God and, you know, you're a quote-unquote so-called great man, you're going to get attacked. Right? And so David was constantly attacked. And if you're trying to be a good father or a good husband, I'm telling you, you will constantly be attacked. You do not have the opportunity to let your guard down. You say, oh, it's Sunday. I want to get drunk. I want to relax. No. That's when it happens, dummy. That's exactly when it happens. You don't, you're not allowed to let your guard down because now you just expose your wife and your children. You don't have that luxury. You understand what I'm saying, men? You don't have that luxury. Psalm 55.1 Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble on me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me, fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me and i say oh that i had wings like a dove i would fly away and be at rest yes i would wander far away i would lodge in the wilderness salah i would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest destroy O lord divide their tongues for i see violence and strife in the city day and night they go around it on its walls and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. You ready? Are you ready? It is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you. A man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. It is you. You're the cancer in my life. You're my so-called friend. I let you in. If you were out there, I could deal with you because I'd have the you know, the garrison up. I would say, it's obvious you're an enemy. I'm going to keep you at arm's length. I'm going to keep you at bay. But you, I let you in. I let you close to me, and you turned out to be you. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Huh. Ouch, right? Point on the board. Men, protect your family. Do not allow people from outside of your family to infiltrate it. Be vigilant, on guard, ready to ward off the wolves in sheep's clothing. Remember, attacks often come from where you least expect it. That is exactly what we just learned with David. He said, man, I could deal with it if it was somebody else, but it's you? The one I let in, into my little inner circle, it's you? Yep, there you go. Here's what I'll tell you from personal experience, and this is applied doctrine and Tammy will certainly attest, be very careful who you invite into your home. Be ver- I mean, even physically. Physically, emotionally, obviously, spiritually. There are a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing you know, that can talk a big game, maybe have some scripture memorized, this kind of a thing, but they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And if you're paying attention, you know exactly what the Spirit's trying to tell you like right now. Be very careful who you invite into your home. Okay, go back to Ephesians 5, 6. Ephesians 5, 6, lesson learned. Thank you, David. Ephesians 5, verse 6. Ephesians 5, verse 6. This is how we just started on that little sidebar. Ephesians 5.6 Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Remember, the reason we are reading this passage is to see how Paul used the family construct as the underpinning of the entirety of the passage. Okay, so don't lose sight of that. We had a little sidebar. Let's rope it back in. The reason we're talking about this is that we're looking at this through the lens of family. Okay? Look at verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with them. You have your partnership. It's called your family. You Follow? It's called your family. Do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk As children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But instead expose them. Expose the enemies to your family. Men. Expose them. Use the word of God as your litmus test. Think about what the Spirit's saying to you right now. Don't be afraid to expose enemies. And you may love your enemy in the sense. You may say, but that's like a family. That's like my cousin or that's my best friend from high school. So, in this way, like, you know, like Peter was, get behind me, Satan. In this way, in this moment of time, they are satanic to you and your family. Because they are spreading a disease. You've let them behind the garrison. You've let them get into your inner circle. And they are spreading a disease that is destroying you and your family from within. You have to protect against that men. Expose the enemies to your family. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, wake-o sleeper. Right? Get out of your stinking recliner, you lazy bum. That's the Ed Collins translation. I mean it. Too many men spend too many days in their stinking recliner. Get off your butt. Right? Amen? Yeah, yeah get off your butt. What do you think this is? This is serious business. God gave you huge responsibility when he gave you a wife and family, and maybe some kids. It's not time to sit in your recliner and then make excuses for yourself. I work so hard. Big deal. Big deal. How would you even last back 2,000 years ago? Would you complain when life was really tough? We didn't have all the technology to do stuff for you? Suck it up, buttercup, right? Amen? It's ridiculous. Get out of your recliner and stop complaining. Geesh. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then. Look at what the Bible says. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. This reminds me of this week's blog, Yeah, I do write a blog, just saying. Where wisdom and love are brought together as a unified concept. In other words, they don't exist in a godly sense apart from each other. Wisdom and love, love and wisdom. Right? You don't know what love is unless you have wisdom. You can't exercise wisdom unless you have love. Love and wisdom, up here on the board. Learning to think before we emote. What happens when you don't have wisdom, but you supposedly have love? You're in a basket case. All you do is call up your friends. Wha? Happy Sunday. right? Uh, it's always this emotional, like, bleeding out. It's like, stop. Exercise a little wisdom here. What are you emoting about now? What are you complaining about from your, from your recliner? Why don't you stop... Dwelling on yourself and start thinking about others. Maybe that'll get you out of that little funk you're in. I don't know. I mean, that's what wisdom says. I'm just a pastor. I'm just here doing my job, you know. (laughs) Learning to think before we emote. In my experience, emotions tend to be the easiest way for the kingdom of darkness to gain control over a family. That's what I've seen. See, I see it with husbands, I see it with wives. I see it even with kids. Emotions tend to be that fracture. When when things get emotional, and all of a sudden, it's like the garrison drops down, and then people start taking advice from horrible people without any wisdom at all. And so it just compounds. And the next thing you know, it's this big old basket of emotional morons. It's so right. I know. You don't get it? Now it's like the you know emoticon cuz nobody actually, you know, God forbid actually people talk. I don't know. Look at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but filled with the Spirit. Okay, so now the Spirit's got me stopping here. It's interesting that the Spirit authored a bit on drinking alcohol here. It seems weird, like right in the midst of it. Right? All of a sudden he's like, stop the presses, don't get drunk. Seems kind of particular, doesn't it? Like, why? What do you think? Why does God the Holy Spirit author anything? Because we need it. Because obviously, like it is today, drinking was a problem. Even in Ephesus, which was a really mature church by standards of the time. And this is a very edifying book if you read it from end to end. But yet, here's Paul, he says, and do not do this thing. Don't drink and don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So again, it's interesting that the Spirit authored a bit on drinking alcohol here. In the context of protecting your family, in the context of protecting, right in the middle of this discourse, fair enough? Right in the middle of this discourse. He says, don't get drunk, and don't do this thing. I mean, how can a habitual drunk man protect his family? The answer is he can't. That's the point. He cannot. That's not Ed Collins' view on it. That's the Bible. In fact, a drunk man is a harmful man. A drunk man is a harmful man, whether it's a physical or emotional altercation. There's always carnage with drunkenness. Always. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's nowhere in sight in that person, in their activity, in their behavior, in their words, in all of it, in the ugliness that is drunkenness. There's always carnage with drunkenness. And if you're one of those guys that likes to make excuses, you know, like I alluded to earlier, you know, I've heard this a ton of times, I work and I put food on the table, therefore I'm doing my job. Well, apparently the Holy Bible disagrees with you. Apparently. The Word of God. You know, like God's Word. You know, like God's viewpoint on things. Apparently God Himself disagrees with you. And you are, in that moment, if that's you, one of the weak, arrogant men the Spirit alluded to at the start of this message. Instead, he is the encouragement from the Word of God. Again, look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Instead of drinking, in other words, or doing anything injurious to your family, Paul has some good advice for you. Look at this, he says. He says, instead of doing that, Instead of hurting your family. Verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How about this? This is just one little thing. How about just, I don't know, praying before dinner even. That's a great way to give thanks always. It's a great, you know practical introduction for your children if you've got them to see hey dad dad loves the lord dad's grateful to god even for this meal you know we we can we can talk a big talk but our children look at us they watch us we have a huge responsibility and if all you do is lay on the the recliner after working a what a 40-hour week maybe less Maybe a little bit more? None of that's really that hard. I don't know when that happened. That's, a, that's an industrial revolution issue. Nowhere in the Bible, I wrote a blog on this, you remember? Nowhere in the Bible does it say 40 hours is, is the work week. Nowhere. Go back a few years, my friend. It doesn't look anything like 40 hours. Multiply that a couple few times, maybe. That's what you've got. You want to understand real work? That's what it looks like. So stop complaining in your recliner, like you work so hard, because you don't. You understand what I'm getting at, men? Yeah. Get out of your chair. And be grateful for a message like this. Say, ooh, that's me. That hurts. You have two options. You can try to blame Ed Collins, which is what some of you are doing, because you're morons. Or you can actually take it in humility and say, that's directly from God, the Holy Spirit, for my benefit and for the benefit of my wife and my kids if you have kids you follow This is about me and you this is about you and the lord this is about holy scripture i didn't write the bible god did amen yeah so you either you either abide in it or you don't that's it end of story end of story you just just know that people in your family men including your wife and your kids if you got them are watching you very closely and their flesh does not want you to succeed. Is that fair? Their flesh does not want you to succeed as the real leader in the house. They are not gonna be encouraging you to be that man. They are gonna discourage you at every chance. They're gonna to try to drag you down and wear you out, and sometimes, you know, what if you have like a, a, you know, a huge family? It's like all against one, because you got all these fleshes that are trying to wear you out, and you have to be strong. But you've been in your recliner. And you've been making excuses. Look at what verse 21 says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting has the very essence of servitude. I've taught you this. Submitting, serving one another. Listen, you ready, men? You ready? You're a servant. You're to serve your family. Just like I'm serving this family right now. I'm not talking down to you. I'm serving you a meal, a full meal from the Word of God. That's what it means to submit to another person. It means to serve them. Christ said the greatest will be who? The servants. You want to be great in the family? You want to be big daddy-o? Big papa? Then serve! Stop making excuses for yourself! Serve! That is your duty! (laughs) You represent Christ. You are the the analogy, or the, the, the analog, excuse me, to Christ Himself over His bride. The head of the house is the analog. Men, you are the analog to Christ himself over his church, over his bride, over his family, his body. You are the analog to Christ. Christ said himself, I didn't come here to judge you, I came to serve. Did he not? What would you do? You show up, what, after a, such a long day work. Such a tough week. What'd you do? What? You got bombed? And what? Belittled your wife in front of your kids? What'd you do? Hung around with your other drunk idiot moron friends? What'd you do? Oh, no. All right. Here's the best one. You ready? You hung around with the idiots that know a little scripture. That's my favorite. Let's go hang around the driveway. Let's have a few smokes. We'll hang out. We'll have a beer. We'll talk about scripture like we know what we're talking about. And meanwhile, my wife's looking out the window going, what the hell's wrong with my husband? And my kids are in the basement playing God knows what, spin the bottle, I don't know what the hell's going on, right? Something unholy while you're pontificating with your moronic friend out in the driveway. What's that all about? Is that submitting to your family? No, that's letting a wolf in the front door. And then you wonder why you're miserable. You wonder why you can't keep your crap together. You wonder why you got to have that little extra drink at night. You follow what I'm getting at, men? There's no escaping it. This is what real responsibility looks like. And Some of you are like, oh, no, no, the R word. This is what commitment looks like. Oh, no, the C word. Commitment. This is what it looks like. How would you like it if Christ, the head of the church, I don't know, failed in his commitment to you? Said, I know what I said in the Bible, but heaven's full. You're going to have to go to hell. I was drinking one night. I forgot to pray for you. You're going to hell. You lost your faith. I lied. (laughs) How would you like that? You are the analog to that. Men. Right? This is real business. It's real business. Ephesians 21. Yes, that is all that is buried into submitting to one another. In the context of a family, that means, men, you serve your family. You come last. You come last. Do you understand? You are not first. You are not King Farouk. You're not there to be served. You are there to serve. Your wife is not your little slave. Your children's not your little slave. Why don't you show them what servanthood looks like? You are an example to your family, to your wife. Give her something to respond to for crying out loud and stop complaining about her. The ball and chain. Oh, my wife's such a biatch. Oh, she's such a pain in my, you know what? Well, why don't you man up? I work. You want to talk about work? Come talk to me about work. Take a little time capsule back to, I don't know, a couple thousand years. See how long your little work experiment, how you're lamenting over how much you work, lasts. They'll laugh you out of the kingdom come. (laughs) Give me a break suck it up be a man don't be a pansy Tammy, as tammy would say i don't use that kind of coarse language <laughs> only tammy does you know i say it's okay it's okay honey you know come over here come to pappy come bounce on my lap let me give you a popsicle and we could talk about this that don't sound like god last time i checked Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, here's where the specifics of family are placed in front and center again, in keeping with the overarching theme of this passage. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There you go, ladies. I didn't write it. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Did I not just teach that for about five minutes to the point where I'm losing my voice? Yes, I did. You are the analog to Christ. Act like it. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Say, but my husband's a buffoon. So... You submit to your husband. You leave your husband up to the Lord. That's how delegated authority works. You leave your husband up to the Lord. Do you want to help him by reminding him about certain things? Sure. But ultimately, you ought to submit to him, to his authority in the home. If he wants to be a complete jackass, a, you know, an, authorita- an authoritarian, uh, that's between him and the Lord. You pray on it. You show them by good example what it looks like to obey. And maybe he will turn around. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Any questions? Love your wives. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know what that look, the picture of that is? Hey, men, you ready? You ready? Listen up, men. God gave you a precious jewel. And he wants you to polish it. He wants you to love that woman to such a degree that you want to present her as a polished jewel. Do you understand? As a beautiful gemstone as a reflection of a good wife in a home. That's your job. You want your wife to shine. You want her, you want to be a part of that polishing. You want to give her something to respond to so that she brings glory to God in her position in the family. That's what you want. You are exuberant about the idea of her breaking forth and shining. You know like when someone picks up a Whoa. What a beautiful gem. That's what you want your wife to be. You want her to be something that the world beholds and says, look at that woman. She's a gem. You have a part in that. If you've worn her down to a nub because you're a lazy jackass, she doesn't have a whole lot to respond to. You're not, you're, you're, you're not, you're not buffing her. You're not polishing her. You're throwing dirt on her. You know I'm getting at? You're kicking her around, you're throwing her on the ground and kicking her around in the mud, in the the sewage, and you're bringing all that into the house. And she's having a really hard time, even though she wants to. She's having a really hard time shining. Do you follow, men? That's what I see, because that's what Christ wants for His bride, and you are the analog to Christ. You want your bride to be like a gem. That should be you, how you look at your your wife. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one will ever hate or no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it cherishes it just as christ does the church because we are members of his body therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery this analog between husband and wife christ and the church christ and his bride this mystery is profound and i am saying that it refers to christ and the church however let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Up here in the board. This mystery is profound. The family is a microcosm of God's larger family. As Christ is over his bride, the church, husbands are over their wives in their families. That's the mystery. You might hear theologians, you know, Mystery doctrine of the church, you know, whatever. It's not important. What's important is you understand that this is what the Word of God says about you as a husband and a father. That you are the analog to Christ Himself. That you are the analog to Christ Himself. As we know, families often include children as additional blessings according to the Word of God. Therefore, the Bible instructs us on those members also. Look at Ephesians 6.1. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Any questions? I don't, I don't think so. But they're wrong. They don't, they don't understand me. Shut up. Honestly, shut up. Where does it say in the Bible they have to understand you? Their job is to raise you up in the faith. Stop being a disrespectful brat. Oh, but you don't know. My mother and father, they're jerks. So, what does the Bible say? Children! What's that next word? Okay. Obey or honor, as DJ's got in his book, apparently. <laughs> right? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this, this is right. That's that's not Pastor Ed Collins. That's that's literally God speaking to you. You follow? It's not an option. There's not a little... Do you see an asterisk there? Because I don't. There's no asterisk there like with a little disclaimer at the bottom in little letters. No? Okay, then. I guess we'll just take it as face value. I mean, since it is the Word of God. Children, obey your, your parents in the Lord for this is right. Verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment. With promise that it may go well with you. Any questions? You want a you better life You want to stop moaning and groaning? You want to stop texting your friends and and FaceTiming them and, what's that other one? Snapchatting them and Instagramming and, you know, bleeding all over the place how terrible your family is and how nobody understands you? Oh, get over yourself. Honest to goodness. We've all been kids. You think we really don't know what you're going through? (laughs) Been there, done it. It was unpleasant for us, too. Eat, kadumba. Look at verse 3. It literally lays out that it may go well with you. Why should I obey my parents? Why? Why should I? That it may go well with you. (laughs) Says your creator. Go ahead. Test the waters like every moronic adolescent does. See how that goes for you. I'm just telling you. Eventually you'll end up apologizing to your parents. That's what always happens. Yeah, I was pretty much a jackass when I was a teenager. Yeah, you kind of were. But here's the thing. I expected it. I still love you. You know. Sorry. What's that? What do you call that? A. Uh... Ah, what do you call that? When you. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I kind of ruined the punchline when it takes that long. Sorry. <laughs> it happens when you get old. Verse three. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord a lot the spirit had a lot to say on uh, discipline uh recently we kind of finished that work i think now here's the interesting transition from the lessons we learn in the home as children in that little microcosm to where and when we are commanded to carry those lessons right Because remember this whole thing is about family. What do we learn in the family? Right? God says, I'm gonna put you in this little family, I'm gonna teach you about love, I'm gonna teach you about respect, I'm gonna teach you about, you know, my commandments, and there's a little petri dish, you know, that he kinda like grows us in. And then he says, All right, you're old enough, let's go. Let's take what you learned in there out. That was the lab experience, experiment, now it's time to go out. Okay? And we're commanded to carry those lessons outbound. Applying them to the larger stage, that is the world. Look at verse five, bond servants. Six five, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Does not say believers. Does not say anything. Says your earthly. That could be your boss. Okay, that could be the president of the United States. Okay, could be the governor. Could be the I don't know. You choose. But the Bible says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. You see what you see what, Christ, you see what God just did there? He's, he's basically saying, no, 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 you don't get to draw a line in the sand. You say you will want to obey Christ, then, and Christ himself says, okay, if you want to obey me, then you'll obey what I'm telling you, and I'm telling you to obey your earthly masters. Any questions? No. No questions. with a sincere heart at that as you would Christ not by the way of eye service as people pleasers don't be a little brown nose in other words but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man in other words you're not even doing it for man maybe the guy above you is a jackass maybe our president is a jackass no takers When's the last time we had an actual believer in office? I don't know. Who knows? I'm not to judge. I'm just saying things are what they are. But you know what the Bible says? That's my president. And for as long as he's my president, I'm to obey him. End of story. But, 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 I don't care. There's no but. Let Jesus deal with them. That's the whole idea. You are not the police. You understand? You're not, you're not there to police people above you. Let God, who ordains every authority, do that. You are not the global police, and you're not, you're not God's little helper. You know, like Bobby Brady, remember when he was like the hall monitor, and he got way carried away? Remember that? You're not Bobby Brady. Don't be Bobby Brady, right? You're not the little <laughs> crazy person that, you know, tries to police the world with your, with your self-righteousness. Especially since given the fact that God knows everything that you are. Here's a really important point, and I'm starting to run out of time. Obviously a lot of preaching this morning, which is fine. But this is an important point that came up as I sat back. This was a point in my own study where I sat back in my chair and, you know, I said, Oh, it's 40 hours. I'm done. It's time for a brewski. End up still. Go home. I'm done. I'm a union worker. I'm done serving. No, he said, now sit back. He said, think about what what I want you to say to that congregation on Sunday. So it's just something food for thought. Um, You know, take away what you will, I guess. Have you ever noticed that the folks that are utterly disrespectful of authorities, let's just say in our country even, have you ever noticed that folks that are utterly disrespectful of authorities in our country tend to rear up from families that have failed? Have you ever noticed that? Came from certain dysfunction? Have you ever noticed that when you run into an anti-authority-oriented person, that person most often, I'm not making a blanket statement here, I'm just saying, they are most often from homes where there was little to no authority or discipline. Have you ever noticed that? In other words, like I just taught you, what went on in the, the little microcosm, the economy of the home, guess what happens? When they went out, they took what they learned there out. And they learned nothing. Because the head of the household, probably the father, either wasn't there or was completely defunct. And then we wonder. Again, ever notice that when you run into anti-author people? That they most often are from homes where there was little to no authority or discipline. And I mean from a godly perspective. Not get A's or get out. Be a doctor or a lawyer or shame on you. I'm not talking about that. I mean godly authority, godly discipline. You ever noticed? I have. Many cases I feel sad for them because, you know what? In all fairness, it's understandable. Given that their fathers weren't around and or their mothers weren't exactly grounded and rooted in the Word of God. So the question is, have you ever noticed this? The point I'm making is that children that aren't taught properly in the home, news alert, newsflash, well, they grow up. They grow up. And they don't you know, magically become disciplined or authority-oriented. They don't just, oh, I'm an adult now, time to be disciplined and authority oriented. No, they just grow up. And now they have a greater reach. In fact, they they, they tend to be horrors at large. With a wake of disregard for God-given authorities. That's what they turn out to be. There are, you know, corner cases, small percentages maybe, I don't know, who make it, who somehow, you know, through the Word of God, maybe, you know, they become believers and they learn the hard way like I would had to for the most part, right? Most of us in here had to learn for the most part. You know, you come kind of late and God is so gracious and merciful that He sanctifies you and changes you, and you're blessed, and that's beautiful. Amen? But wouldn't it be nice? (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice not to have these terrors running around? I know it would be for me up here on the board. What's the point the Spirit's making? The value of family, disciplined, well-adjusted children from godly homes make for great subordinates. Because authority orientation was instilled in them at an early age. And they are blessed for it. And become blessings for others, especially those in authority. Allah Ephesians 6 5. That's the value of a family. Let me say it again. And fathers, even mothers, you're responsible for raising up the children, but it starts with you, men. Just saying, just saying. Disciplined, well adjusted children from godly homes. Make for great subordinates because authority orientation was instilled in them at an early age. And they are blessed for it. What did we read in Ephesians about children? Children obey your parents. Why? Because it's good for you. It'll be good for you. This is part of it. Those people that are anti-authority, every anti-authority person I've ever known is miserable. They wear a smile, they paint a smile, and they will do everything in their power to try to prove to you that they're not miserable, that you're smoking crack. But discernment with this office, because some of them have come through this church and left, discernment says, you know what? They're miserable. Why? Because there's authority everywhere, and all they want to do is bucket. Starting with this one. Do you follow them getting that? You're miserable because you're anti-authority oriented. And I get it. It's understandable. You came from a home that was literally the same way. But you become a horror, and you're miserable. And you're making life miserable for other people, especially those that you're supposed to you know, be in subordination to. So here's the corollary, the value of family. Undisciplined, maladjusted children, From ungodly homes make for horrible subordinates because authority orientation was never instilled in them and they are cursed for it and become a cursing for others, especially those in authority. Do you see what I did there? I didn't even change the structure of the sentences. Just gave you all the antonyms and it literally worked perfectly. Perfectly. Undisciplined, maladjusted children from ungodly homes make for horrible subordinates because authority orientation was never instilled in them and they are cursed for it. And become a cursing for others, especially those in authority. Take a godly family where the kids are subordinate, the father's doing his job, the mother's doing his job. You have a nice little family. They have their problems, but you know what? There's peace there, there's love there. There's a certain unity there. Those kids grow up, they become productive members of of society. They're not jumping over the Capitol building walls and trying to shoot people to make a point. Do you understand what I'm getting at? Versus some moron who says, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have some kids. And I'm going to be completely defunct, but I'm going to work 40 hours. I'm going to get drunk, I'm going to beat my wife a little bit. My kids are going to see it once in a while. I'm going to say things that are horrible to my children. Yeah, And then I wonder why my kid's jumping over walls in the Capitol building. I'm not making some political statement. I'm just making, look, this is how it goes. Do you understand what I'm getting at, folks? This is how it goes. It starts in the family. Good stock is a real thing. Do you understand what I'm getting at? There is such a thing as coming from good stock. I'm not saying it's permanent. Don't have a fixed mindset. You can be changed like many of us in here. But there is such a thing as coming from a good stock, a good family that was headed by a good husband, a good father, a good mother, who shines for the Lord, who's been polished, who's a gemstone. That's a very good thing. Very good thing. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. That family is blessed. Don't believe me? Read your Bible then. Try to disprove what I just taught. You won't be able to because it's true. As an exercise in integrity to this pair of principles, I I guess I'll leave you with this. Do an inventory of folks you know. Seriously, and don't be judgmental and be like, oh, those people, don't don't do that, that's ridiculous. Be discerning, without judgment. Do an inventory of folks you know who are authority-oriented and those who are not. Do an inventory of people you say, oh, they're authority-oriented, and then do an inventory of people who are not. And those who admittedly struggle, let's say, even as recovering anti-authority junkies, And those that don't. In other words, look at folks who don't struggle with authority orientation and those who do. Okay? What you'll likely discover, not it's not compliance, it's not a blanket statement, it's just us learning. What you'll likely discover is a common thread. Family. One of the key variables is family. Those who came from broken homes where the father was defunct or a drunk or a jerk and maybe the mother was too. I don't know. What you'll find are the traces. Listen, are the traces of what Paul is writing about here in Ephesians 5 and 6. That's what you will see. You will see it played out because you know what? God's not a liar. This isn't what we expect. This isn't, this isn't a philosophical class in college, folks. This is real. You know, this isn't like us pontificating about, you know, and hyperanalyzing people and going, ooh, ooh. No, it plays out. It's literally real. It's authored by the one who created us all. I think he has the market cornered on knowing, on how things pan out. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. So this is the reason for this morning's message. There is great, great value in godly families. As a disclaimer, doesn't mean you can't come from a, you know, a, a crap hole and, and God can transform you because he can. But that's not what we've been studying. We've been studying the value of a godly family. And there is great great value in godly families. And what we realize over time is that the things we learn in our homes are the things we take with us when we grow up. In other words, I'll I'll end with this right here. Godliness in families pays dividends for life. Godliness in families pays dividends for life. Men, you wanna invest in your child's future? Don't worry about a bank account. Don't worry about a, a bond, a government bond. You worry about this. You worry about this. Don't worry about all that other stuff. God's got that under control anyways. You worry about this. You worry about leading your family, being a real man in God's eyes, right? Standing firm in the faith, like the Bible says. Act like men. Be strong. This is your investment, the greatest investment you can make in your family. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Keep us humble, Father. All of us, while we take in these things and digest us, digest them, give us that time afterwards to reflect upon them. Give us the tenacity and the desire to do so, Father, because we really do want to be sanctified to your glory. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.